Before we dive into season two of Tiny Seed Tales, I wanted to mention that the first half of this season was recorded pre-COVID and pre-quarantine. We actually started recording in mid-2019, and so you'll hear no mention of COVID and quarantine and shelter-in-place until about halfway through the season. Let's dive in. There's the narrative that kind of happens in the bootstrap space, which is really binary, which I don't really relate to. It's either I want a lifestyle business or... I want to shoot for the moon. And I think that the emotional side of things isn't that cut and dry for me. I tend to skew towards wanting a business that I can maintain and control and have control of. But I would be disingenuous if I didn't want a really big outcome. Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow founders through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers. This is our second season of Tiny Seed Tales. In season one, we followed Craig Hewitt of Castos through a good chunk of 2019. This season, we're following a husband and wife team who are also in the inaugural batch of Tiny Seed Startups. Brian and Scotty Elliott have been married for 15 years and have a son. I'll let them introduce themselves and their startup. Hi, I'm Brian Elliott. I am the co-founder of Gather. We make specification software for professional interior design and architecture firms. And I'm Scotty Elliott, the other co-founder of Gather. We are currently living in San Miguel de Allende in central Mexico. And Brian, neither of you are from Mexico. What prompted you to move there? No, we're not from Mexico. That's a long story, I guess, why we're here. But the long and short of it, I guess, is that A, we love it here. And B, we can live here for less money than we could back uh, in Seattle, which is where we previously lived. So it's a bit of a geo-arbitrage move, I think. How long have the two of you been working on Gather? Well, I mean, kind of since the beginning, which would have been, you know, back in late 2014, early 2015, But I guess more officially within the last year and a half or two years. So that was about four or five years ago that you started building. And when you say more officially the last year or two, is that when you both went full time? Well, that's kind of just whenever Scotty became an official co-founder. So before that time, I relied a lot on her industry expertise, but it was more informal, just like, hey, let me ask you this question or, hey, can you reach out to so-and-so for me? But, you know, as of 2017, I think maybe mid-2017, mid she became a co-founder role and kind of more official as far as like helping out with the day-to-day tasks of the business. Was she working a full-time job prior to that? She was working a full-time job back in Seattle, and then she was doing consulting work actually for her previous employer in Seattle while we were just kind of settling into Mexico. Scotty, what was your full-time job slash consulting work? So previously, I worked in a procurement firm, which did purchasing and project management for architecture firms and independent designers, interior designers. And so when we were traveling, I was able to work remotely and continue working on projects with them. So that was really nice. Are you an interior designer yourself? So um, not by trade, but I've spent the last 20 years in the industry, starting out 
in very basic workroom, actually sewing, <laughs> and then moved into more showroom management role, and then actually more project management and coordination for design firms and architecture firms. And would you say that you and Brian decided together to start Gather, or was one of you more of the driver behind it? So it was. I think it was definitely Brian initially that kind of had the idea, um, but I would say that his idea was born from from my pain that I was constantly verbalizing and, you know, being, being married and, and coming home from work and working after hours and sharing with him my frustrations on, you know, uh, this is, I'm having to do this at home because it's so chaotic and it's, you know, there's, there's too much to organize. And he felt like, And then his brain sort of went to, oh, maybe software could solve this problem. You know, it was kind of like I was looking for something to do on the side. And Scotty was telling me and showing me this awful software that she was using in in her business. And so I thought, oh, there's, there's probably something that I should sniff out here. And Brian, what is your background? My background is design. So starting out as a graphic designer, that's my education. And then I moved into the web and then eventually software uh, and into user experience roles. So that's that's kind of where I come from. Along the way, I picked up some programming skills. So I also became kind of a, a hybrid developer designer. Yep, the double threat. <laughs> so with Scotty's experience working in architecture and design firms and Brian's experience with design and code, Brian built the first version of Gather. Fast forward to today, and they've built out their team, so Brian hasn't written code in Gather for more than a year. Besides the two of them being full-time, they have one full-time and one part-time developer, and they also use contractors for specific needs. Brian and Scotty applied and were selected into the first batch of TinySeed, and we talked about why they decided to apply and what their goals are for their company. To give you some context, their current monthly recurring revenue, or MRR, is $5,600, and they're growing at around 8% per month right now. We felt a little bit isolated. And so I think when we decided to apply, which we did not expect to uh, to be accepted into, so it was sort of one of those things where we just we just decided to, to go ahead and apply and, um, and see what happens and with very little expectation as to what the outcome would be. But yeah, I think I was most excited just by being able to talk to, to you and all the, the awesome you know, folks that are kind of rallying behind it. You know, there, there's multiple pieces to, to Tiny Seed, obviously, as you know, being part of it, but there's the funding and there's the mentorship and then there's, you know, the batch, right? The community, the the eight other founding teams. Did you know, did you realize that going in that there would kind of be those three benefits or did you think of it more as the money and the mentorship? Yeah, no, I definitely knew that there were all three of those components and they were all three compelling in different ways. I mean, I've been a part of masterminds in the past and they didn't really work out very well, mostly because the other people in the masterminds weren't all SaaS founders. And so I found the there was a lot of discord between our experiences and and where we were with our businesses. And so it was hard to reconcile. And so Tiny Seed to me seemed like the place where I would find the ultimate mastermind because we're all sort of roughly in the same the same stage of business or maybe, you know, stair-stepped a little bit between each other. And we were all running SaaS companies, which was super compelling. The other interesting thing, I think, is that everyone everyone is serious 
You know, like I've been in masterminds where one person's kind of in and out and they invest time in their business and then they don't. And the tiny suit batch is not that at all. Like everyone is all in. You said it perfectly because you know, the other masterminds that I was a part of, like I really liked, I, I enjoyed elements of them, but it was just like, I don't know. I always felt like the most serious one there. And that, that may not, that may have just been my perception, but not the, necessarily the truth. But I knew coming into Tiny Seed that everybody was going to be super committed and that we would push each other in ways that like I hadn't been pushed before, which is, which is, I think, exactly what we needed. Or maybe not to say like push, but just to bring ideas outside of our box, outside perspective, I think was, was really compelling. Scotty, did you ever consider raising funding from other sources? Did you ever consider angel funding or... I guess venture capital would be too far, you know, down the line based on on your MRR. But did you did you ever look into uh, raising an angel round? No. <laughs> um, Why not? Well, I think it just felt like it was not the right move for us and what we wanted um, from our business and how we wanted to have control over our lifestyle. We really wanted to be able to have flexibility to spend time with our son and to travel when we wanted to and to grow in a way that felt natural and comfortable for us. I think it's good to know that about about yourself and your goals. You know, it's good to have clarity in your own mind because it can be easy. I mean, you know, to be honest, we had someone apply to Tiny Seed and we made them an offer and they verbally accepted and it took us a couple of weeks to get paperwork together. And in the meantime, they decided to take venture capital. And I thought that was a very interesting decision because that's just, that's almost a 180 from, from what we talk about, you know? And they said, I, I, you know, I asked, why did you decide to do that? Just curious. Cause when I had talked to them, they really wanted lifestyle and they really wanted, you know, to be in control of their destiny and such. And they said, well, we, we've been meeting with a bu- bunch of venture capitalists over the past few weeks. And I said, yeah, meeting with venture capitalists tends to make you want to raise venture capital. You know, they essentially, it felt like they kind of got talked into it. And I think that can be easy because if I came to you and I said, look, Gather can be huge. I mean, it can be, this is a $100 million business. And, you know, you guys can be, you know, you can go public or you can have a huge acquisition. It's easy to get excited about that. Or I think it's easy to accept that as like, uh, you know, a potential reality when, it may not be what you want. You may not realize the downsides of making that decision, you know, of even going after that. Yeah, that's really true. And I think there's the narrative that kind of happens in the bootstrap space, which is really binary, which I don't really, I, I don't really relate to in that, you know, it's, it's either, you know, I want a lifestyle business or I want a really small business that grows based on revenue, or I want to shoot for the moon and I think that the emotional side of things isn't that cut and dry for me. You know what I mean? Like I tend to skew towards wanting a business that I can maintain and control and have control of because that's that's a part of my personality. But I, I would be disingenuous if I didn't want a really big outcome. So I think the the two things I struggle with, and I don't, and it, it it really just depends on the day, like how I'm feeling. Like one day I might be like, you know, oh, I want to sell the business for fifty million dollars someday, and then the other day I'm like, I'd be cool with just like having a nice business. I feel like the narrative is like everybody's biases on the side of 
confidently choosing one or the other, but I think like it just, the every day is, is a little different for me. I think that's that, that idea of, you know, it used to be that you did bootstrap and you were really small, often one person, um, like the micro ISVs of the early 2000s. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but it was literally people who were trying to be a one person software company. And then there was funding and then Basecamp came around and MailChimp. And there were just a, just those two and then Buffer, you know, and there were just a handful literally that, and I know each of them, um, I mean, Buffer, I believe, raised some funding early on. And of course, Basecamp took some money off the table at a certain point. But but the, the bootstrapper ethos was still there the whole time. And yet, they grew large. And that has become more and more common as just the tools have gotten easier and the markets get bigger and whatever, as the communities crop up. I mean, I, I think MicroConf, a lot of the attendees at growth edition are very much in the same boat that you're talking about, where it's like, I don't want to sacrifice my freedom, my purpose, or my relationships to build this business. I'm not going to work 90 hour weeks. And I'm not going to, I don't want to be so stressed out that I have a heart attack at 44. But I do, I am ambitious and I want to grow, but I want to do it on my terms. And and that that is an in-between. It's a third option, you know, that I don't know. Obviously, bootstrapping can be that, but that but what we just said, that third option doesn't preclude taking some funding. And that's where it's not about taking money or not, right? Because you guys have now, you know, taken $140,000 in funding, in essence, from Tiny Seed. But do you still consider yourself or do you still feel like, you know, the bootstrapper, the scrappy bootstrappers that, that you've been? Yeah, definitely. 100% still feel bootstrapped. And the way we make our decisions, you know, we're still concerned with how we spend every penny. And it's not like now we have all this money and we can just hire and, you know, as many people as we want and build everything we want. We still have to prioritize everything that we do um, and be conscious with it all. Yeah. We still sort of live in a conservative mindset where it's like, you know, we're not willing to just shoot for the moon and burn and like be willing to flame out because you know, this is, this is our life. And so we're probably a little bit more conservative with it than we would be if, you know, we had taken a lot of venture capital and we just wanted to grow and we were perfectly, you know, comfortable with imploding at some point, but we're not at all comfortable with imploding. We know that that's a possibility, but it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're still very much interested in protecting the, the downside risk. Even if we wound up raising, let's say, 10 million bucks from a, a, a VC, my first instinct would not be, let's move to San Francisco and open up a beautiful office and hire a bunch of San Franciscan uh, ex-Google engineers. You know, it would still be, let's stay in a place where we can geo-arbitrage. Let's hire the best people we can from, you know, developing economies and and let's just like you know get get as much as we can for that money with the expectation that it all could go up in a poof of smoke any day now you have the background on who Brian and Scotty are as people and also about their goals for gather as we got into the day to day we uncovered a feeling that Craig also touched on last season every week is a roller coaster there are highs and lows this week gather's ads are not performing as well as they have in the past but on the flip side, they recently got a new customer, something they always celebrate. I asked Brian about their biggest win this week. I think that one high point for us within the last week or two has been 
we raised our prices 30 days ago fairly considerably. Like we almost doubled our team plans. And we kind of held our breath, like hoping nobody would object. And we have since had, I think, two or three signups at that level. And so, you know, that was exciting to see like, oh, a $100 plan just came through and they didn't complain at all. And so it just, I guess, gave us some validation that like we were, we, that we had, a, we had something that was worth what we were asking for, even though to us, like it seemed like we were asking a lot of money. So seeing those those $100 plans come in, I think was that felt pretty good. Raising prices is always a, a scary thing because you don't know what it's going to break and if people are going to get upset or whatever. Did you grandfather in existing customers? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, everybody's just grandfathered in at the plan that they signed up for now. So definitely there's some people in there that are getting tremendous value out of Gather. <laughs> For a low for, low cost, for do you nothing? Yeah. Do you have any plans to move those folks either up to your modern plans or to you know something that's more probably more in line with the value they're receiving? Yeah, we debate that a lot. Like we def- so a couple of months ago, we said for sure we're going to do that, and then we kind of started asking ourselves like, well, should we? Should we care? Like, should we just reward those people who are like patient with all of the bugs and all of the questions and all the customer develops development stuff with just, you know, Hey, you, you got in early. We'll honor that price forever. So I don't know that we have an answer on that. Like we kind of paused the like immediate need to charge them more money. Well, I mean, I think ultimately it's, we don't have that many that are still at that first price point. And for those people, they have been with us from the very beginning so, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it would be beneficial and just kind of a nice thing to do to reward them with being the first ones in. But, you know, within the last two years, when we really had our first major price increase, I think those people, we should, you know, definitely start to move them up to the next tier. Yeah. And I feel, and, and also people churn out and it's kind of funny, like some of the early people that are paying us like 19 or $29 per month, they churn out eventually. A lot of them do. And then it's sort of like, well, that's kind of a, in a way it's kind of a good thing. Like when they come back and if they want to resubscribe, then like we no longer honor the grandfathering then. That's, t- that's, which is a very common that approach. I believe I used to, I took that with, with drip and that was impetus for some people to stick around sometimes, you know, if they had, if they did have a really good deal. And so, yeah, as you said, churn often just over time will take care of this if it's not a huge number. I could, I can see it both ways personally about moving some folks up and, but it's, if you do feel loyalty to folks who really put up with kind of a crappy product in the early days, it's, that's a, you gotta, and that's the thing. That's the beauty, right? Is this is your company and you've built it the way you want to, you know, and you're able to make that decision for yourselves. Yeah. And I think we, we really over, over index on, on um, like relationships with people because we are in a pretty finite industry that talks. And so because we don't have the big feature sets or the giant bank accounts that some of our competitors have or perceived competitors that we just, we try to make up for it with excellent customer experience. And I guess that kind of plays into that. And when we ran the numbers on upgrading these folks, it was like, oh, we might make another like six or $800 of MRR, which is not nothing, but it's like, it's not, it wouldn't, it's not going to like 
dramatically affect the business. You can see how Scotty and Brian are making hard decisions with incomplete information, whether it's applying for tiny seed or deciding on a substantial price increase. To wrap things up for the week, we talked about a setback they had and how their optimistic outlook gets them through tough times. Scotty, what would you say was your biggest setback or your low point this week? Well, one of the things that I I really dug into this week were our um, our trial signups. So we have a, f- a free 30-day trial. And though our signups over the past few weeks were up, so over the last month, really, the people that came into the trial in the beginning, the last 30 days, I noticed we, you know, we had a lot of signups. But then when I started to really dig in, I noticed that a majority of them were actually not doing a whole lot. So like they would, they would sign up and then they would disappear. And so, so that, that feels sort of like a setback. Um, I feel like it hasn't, that hasn't been the way it's been going. Usually they sign up, they at least do, the majority of the trials do add items and do, do are active in the trial. So trying to figure out what happened and, and why is, is on the, on the agenda now. Got it. So the I was my next my follow up was going to be do you have a plan of action you know to to do that and I guess you've said yeah the, yeah yeah Scotty what, what, what's, our, yeah. what's your plan <laughs> I I honestly don't have a plan yet um, but I am that is something that I'm going to start trying to figure out how you know it's hard it's hard when people come into the trial and we're emailing them you know they're getting a series of emails after signing up um, or they're getting pinged in the app um, but if they're not going back to the app and then they're not reading our emails they're not communicating it's hard to figure out what happened um, I suppose I could pick up the phone and call them but it's also feels like, is that too aggressive? Is that too much? Would I appreciate that if I went into a trial just to give it a try and thought, meh, it's not for me, or who knows what happened? Um, I just went away for whatever reason. Would I like it if the founder of that company called me and said, hey, I noticed you didn't do anything. What's going on? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I can I can see how that would feel that way. I actually, I think if you don't know, that would be a fascinating thing to try three times, five times. And if right. if anyone gets angry, then you stop, you know, or you assume that one person, you know, my guess is, is no one. If you say, hey, I'm the founder and I just wanted to find out why. Because I'm the same way you are where I over-index on not wanting to bother people and, you know, not wanting to pick up the phone, frankly. I don't actually enjoy the phone very much. You know, I I would guess that nine out of 10 or 19 out of 20 will be, We'll have no issue, you know, talking to you about it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I do call people when they're really active in the trial and then they don't subscribe. I do call them then and, and I've never had anybody get angry. But I guess it feels feels harder when they haven't done anything. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I think I think one of the hard things is like we don't know if it's just the – the top of the funnel is messy right now and we're getting like some trashy trial signups from, you know, just like bad Facebook ads or something like that versus like market forces that are happening that we're just not really aware. I don't know. It's just, it, there's so many variables. It's hard to know if they're even a good fit and worth chasing. 
Um, and that's where we're trying to get really crisp, I think, going forward is like, let's make sure we we improve, like even if trials go down, like the let's let's try to work on improving the quality of those those leads and, and make sure that like we have a higher level of confidence that they're the right ones going into the into the app rather than sort of just like take anybody that comes through and then wonder why some, you know, don't don't really do anything in there. Yeah. Brian, are you satisfied with your progress right now? Never satisfied, Rob. There it is. <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> uh, it's 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 fairly I mean I'm being silly, but it's like it's pretty true. I just I feel like honestly, just like I feel like never satisfied. Yeah. And I don't know if that'll ever change. Like I remember thinking uh, a long time ago, like, wow, get to 3000 MRR. That'd be such an incredible signal. And then you, you get there and you pass that and it seems weak and lame. And then like you get to 6000 and it, that seems weak, you know, exciting. And then it seems weak and lame. So yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's always more to do and things to do better. And there's just like, there's so many things in the business that are chaos and like, put together with duct tape and Shh, don't tell that. <laughs> I mean, everything's perfect and we're just optimizing now. Um, no, I have this, this thing that I said in a microconf talk one time and I'm starting to, it comes up a lot now, but on one slide I said, you know, even in the Cinderella stories, these very high growth startups, um, fast grown, you know, fast growth, mostly bootstrap startups, the, the growth took X amount of time, right? It took this long time. And then the next slide I said, and the other lesson is there are no Cinderella stories. And the idea there is under the covers and all of those, it was very likely a complete shit show. Cause I know it was, I know it was when I was running drip and I was way stressed out mm -hmm. and I was starting to burn out and I, you know, and yet I had the most successful you know, company I'd ever started. And I had dreamed years ago of having that. And then when I got there, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is hard. You know, and I have angel investments now who I talked to a founder today and they're doing several million in ARR and it's, and they're going fast. And he's like, I never, you know, this is crazy, but under, under the, the water, he's kicking like a duck just to stay above, you know, <laughs> even though he on, on the surface, he looks amazing. You know, yeah. The, the company does. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I, the only thing that keeps me personally floating, Scotty can chime in on, on her end, but it's just like, I'm just sort of a. I'm just sort of like a hopeless optimist. I, it's like, I'm all, I always just assume I'm going to be super duper successful and everything's going to work out in the end. But in the short duration, like in the day or the week, it's just all chaos and like depression. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I feel like obviously there'll be real high highs where I'm like, wow, this is great. I can't believe we did this. And and then, you know, followed the next day, literally like, this is never going to work and my life's going to fall apart. But I never think that for long. Like, I always just feel like, yeah, this is going to work out. Like, if this doesn't work out, it's the next thing. And, you know, so. And Scotty, are you as optimistic as Brian? You know, to be truthful, Brian is is the eternal optimist and definitely the optimist in our relationship. I'm sort of the one that try to bring things back to even. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like he's like this hot air balloon and I'm like, wait, <laughs> come back. <laughs> you know, I am optimistic too. And just seeing... You know, it has been it has been long, but it also hasn't been a hundred percent committed from both of us um, to the project. And so I see now that it doesn't matter, honestly, in the end, if gather is the end all be all thing for us, but just the learning that's happened. And I have learned a ton 
So if Gather makes it, and that's uh, that's amazing. If you know, if we have to find another path, then I feel like I've learned so much that I'm not worried about it at all. Next week, we'll dive into the complexities of making not one, but multiple new hires at their small, fully remote company. That's next time on Tiny Seed Tales, where steadfast optimism at Gather has not dimmed. That's one of the things Brian and I talk about a lot is probably a lot of people would have completely given up on our business by now. But we have been, you know, steadfast and we're going to do this. This is going to work. And I think that goes a, a long way.